so we're going to dip into Proverbs 18. 18 verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and, and, are, and are safe. I love the book of Proverbs. I, I, um, I read a lot of just books and commentaries, a lot, lots and lots. And um, every once in a while, I'll find something that, that I think helps. That, uh, <laughs> boom. <laughs> I hope nobody was underneath that. <laughs> Everybody okay out there? Okay. Is, we don't need any paramedics. <laughs> um, I missed something, didn't I? Okay. Um, anyway, there's a guy named John Maxwell who wrote lots of leadership books, and, um, and he, tried, he took a swipe at explaining the meaning of life, and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm not sure about his theology here, so you know, I, don't hold me too carefully on the theology, but here's his explanation. He said, on the first day that God created the dog, and, um, and um, he says to the dog, okay, your role will be to sit at the front door all day long, and bark as people come by. And to do this, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 20 years. And the dog says, well, I don't know, that's a long time to sit and bark. How about if we cut that back to 10 and I give you 10 back? And so God agreed. And then on the second day, God created the monkey. And um, he says, okay, your role is going to be to, to just do, be entertaining. Do lots of monkey tricks. Make people laugh all the time. And uh, to do that, I'm going to give you a 20-year lifespan. Monkey thinks his head's boy, I'm singing and dancing for 20 years. That's a long time. How about if we cut that back to 10 and I'll give you 10 back? God says, okay. I don't know about this John Maxwell guy. This is not, you're not smiling. Okay, so then the third day, God created a cow. He created the cow and he says, okay, your job is going to be to go out in the field with the, with the farmer, toil all day under the sun. You're going to produce calves and you're going to feed the calves and the farmer's family. And for that, I think, man, I'll give you 60, 60 years. And the cow says, wow, that's a lot of work. That's a long time. How about let's cut that back to 20, and I'll give you 40 back. God says, okay, I'll go on with that. The next day, God created man. And he said, okay, here's what you do. Eat, sleep, enjoy yourself, eat your food. And to do that, I'll give you 20 years. And man said, 20 years? I don't know. Okay, well, how about this? I'll take the 20 you gave me. Give me the 10 the dog gave you back. Give me the 10 the monkey gave you back and the 40 the cow gave you back and God agreed. That's the reason why for the first 20 years we eat, sleep, lay around, and enjoy ourselves. (laughs) There's a train coming. Are you going to catch this train? The next 40 years we slave in the sun and we have our calves and we work to feed our family. And then the next next 10 years we do monkey tricks making the grandchildren smile. And then the last 10 years, we sit on the porch and bark at everybody that comes by. (laughs) Okay. That John Maxwell is a smart guy. It's interesting to try to explain life. um, And I'm going to try and boil it down to a word. It's uh, it's a stretch to do that. We'll have to stretch to do that. But uh, even Jesus was pretty big on this word. And and, uh, you know, all of heaven and earth, all of the Old Testament and the New Testament really talk about this one word. And um, even Jesus said, if you, if, you, if you look at what he said and you, if you take a look at it, you can almost say that he summarized the entire word of God on this one word. It's a common word that you and I use all the time, and it's a word that if in its proper context can change the world, literally. And that one common word is the word Relationships. Your quality of life on this earth 
can be determined by your relationships. Your quality of eternity is determined by relationship. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Relationships are everything. And I, I, I would submit that your relationships, the decisions you make about relationships are the most important decisions you will make in your entire life. The only, if, if, there, if, if there's just one thing that's going to have the primary influence on the, the, the enjoyment of your life and the fruit of your life, it'll come down to relationships. And we're on this topic. Jesus stressed this, but we're on this topic a little bit because Jesus said in Matthew 18, for where two or more gathered in my name, I'm there with them. Why, why? Why would this be so important to Jesus? Why, why was he so interested in our relationships? Well, I, I believe that real, the real quality life changes that happen to you and to me take place in the context of relationship. You know, real life change that happens, it happens in relationship. You can, you, you, good things happen when you attend a church. But real life change doesn't happen just by attending a church service. Real life change happens not because of where you go to school and not because of the stuff you learn. Those things are good. They help you with careers and so forth. But real life change happens and, it's, it, and it occurs in the context of the people that you're with, the people in your life. That's why Jesus basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but Jesus basically said, if you'll be careful and intentional about the people that you gather with, I'll show up and I'll do profound things. Right off the bat now, if you're, um, if you're involved in groups, small groups, and I, in the church, if I say that phrase, I, I risk you misunderstanding what I'm talking about. It doesn't only mean a formalized small group that the church somewhere has organized and, and put you into and connected you with. But right now, if you're already involved in some relational, consistent groups, if you're already doing that, you're going, yep, yep, I get this. Is that what today's message is? We're fine, move along. You're already thinking about that. Um, I, I've, I've already do those things. But for many of us, maybe most of us, we're really not consistently involved in some sort of a significant intentional group. And if that's you, you're already starting to think of the reasons why you can't, why you don't. So I'm going to pick on that first. I'm going to take just a minute or two and talk about the reasons that we don't. And then I'm going to give you some very strong reasons for why you ought to consider doing something about that. I'm going to do the best I can to convince you that your life will be better. Your life will improve if you get involved intentionally in some sort of small groups. Now, um, relational groups come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today. Uh, we just talked about one. There's a video, and it's, uh, it's a Bible study. To be sure, you will learn the Word of God if you go there. But I think that's probably, in my mind, less than half of the fruit of those things, the relational things that take place. Um, are profound. They are profound there. And so women's groups, we have um, our, our, our seniors get together regularly, consistently. There are guys who are ushers. There could be women in that group, but that's a small group. It doesn't seem like it, but it is. There's a small group there. Um, the, the people who teach our children, that's a small group. They get together regularly to plan and strategize. They find common interests. There are small groups all over if you just look, if you just look around. Anyway, so let's, uh, let's dive into the Word of God, and let's take a look. Let's start with Ecclesiastes 4, verses 8, and we'll just, you can follow along. I'll put the words up there for you. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. He didn't have anybody he could relate to. This is not just talking about his biological relatives. It's saying that there was no one that was really, really close to this guy. 
And so notice the result of that, and it may be a condition that some of us are in in the room today. Because he had no son, and he had no brother, he's doing, this guy's doing life alone. Okay, there was no end to his toil. Doesn't sound too good. In other words, his life wasn't working. And so notice what he tries to substitute for relationship. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. This guy says, well, maybe I'll work harder. I'll spend more time at the office. I can earn more money. I can pick up some hobbies. But whatever he was doing did not seem to scratch the itch because real life change takes place in the context of relationships. The most important decisions that you make are going to have to do with relationships because walking alone never works. It just doesn't work. So why would we walk alone? What are the reasons that we walk alone when we ought not to? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. I just want to kind of maybe expose some of them because sometimes seeing them in that light will help people go, oh, yeah, that's me. I should back away from that. Okay, so I'm going to blow down through this list fairly quickly. Um, reason number one, naivety. This, this was a rabbit trail for me because I used this word. It's seven letters but four syllables. How many words... Come on, think about it. Are any wordsmith here? Okay, anyway, that's a, that's a completely meaningless rabbit trail. Some of you genuinely don't know that you have a need for relationships. Naivety. Um, and you just think, well, I could just handle life all on my own. Um, I heard this story about Muhammad Ali when he was in his boxing days, you know, and, and there's a story that he was on an airplane, got on an airplane, and the uh, flight attendant says to him, you know, hey, champ, um, she probably didn't say that. Excuse me, sir. Would you buckle your seatbelt? Well, he looks up, the champ looks up at her and he says, uh, hey, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And she looked at him and said, yeah, well, Superman didn't need an airplane to fly either, so buckle up. <laughs> you know, some of us think we can handle life ourselves, but we're going to find out eventually that we can't. We're going to find that out. Here's the second one. Now, this is a real reason. This is not just an excuse. It sounds like one, but it's temperament. You know, I just don't have the personality to go to somebody's house or go to meet them at a restaurant or to hang out with people I don't know. I'm shy. Or they say, well, that's, you know, and that's just the way I am. By the way, if that phrase if, is part of your lexicon, if it comes up regularly, well, that's just the way I am, you ought to consider um, that like warning lights flashing for you personally. They should be flashing in your mirror because if you say that's just the way I am, there could be a couple of things going on. You could, be, you could be just being honest, saying, yeah, I know I'm that way, and, and you're open to being shaped by the Lord. Or you could be saying, well, that's just the way I am. If it's the second, you're at risk of becoming stodgy or calcified. It's a bad place to be. It's way better to be soft and supple before the Lord because the Lord never will, you can never, you can never stare the Lord down in terms of his desire to shape you into something bigger and grander. So telling him, though, that's just the way I am, you can try that and see how it works. Anyway, so, um, but that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. I want to say this to you. If temperament keeps you because you're shy, I just want to respectfully just say to you that that's not good enough. The Word of God is compels you, is pushing you, and gently nudging you to find places where you could get into a relationship. And I'm trying to help us, as a group today, expose reasons why we might be like that guy in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Item number four, fear. I can think of a couple of fears associated with that. Well, I don't want to go to some group I don't know, because what's going to happen to me? You know, I mean, I've been in small groups before where um, they were just gung-ho to pray for me, which I appreciate. 
But I'm thinking, okay, what is kind of deal? And so one of them will, will grab a chair and put it in the middle and say, you sit there and then we're going to, you know, dogpile and uh, spiritual dogpile. <laughs> it's spiritually really good. It's really uncomfortable for somebody like me. I don't want to be the center. Maybe some of you want to be the center. Hey, hey, me, you know. No, nobody in this room. But, um, but, but, but what will happen to me, that's a legitimate concern. The other one is this. Well, if I get there, you will get to know me. You'll get to know all my secrets. You'll get to know all my weaknesses. And that's kind of scary because we're not too sure what they'll think. I want to, you know, I was reading a quote by this guy. Um, I don't know how I found this. Um, <laughs> his name, he's a French guy, okay? So I was thinking about, okay, I want to say his, I was thinking about today, I was thinking about this moment that I want to say his name correctly. He's a French name. It's Andre, and his last name is spelled G-I-D-E, okay? But I know that if I was wearing my Georgia boots, I'd say Andy Guide, okay? But he's French. Andre Gide. <laughs> okay, that's the only time. So much for this guy. He says this. Now, this, this, guy, this guy won the Nobel Prize for Literature. He was French, and... Um, and he wrote during the time when sa- ships were sailing ships. Okay, so there's your context. But here's a comment he makes about fear. He says, one doesn't discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. It's really profound. Anything new you're going to discover in your life, you probably can't see it from where you stand today. What you can see, what is safe, You've already discovered that. But if you're going to discover something that's new for you, something that's different, that goes beyond where you are today, you're probably going to have to get out of the sight. And getting away from the sight means you get further and further away from what you know to be comfortable and safe. Okay, so fear. Number four, past experiences. Maybe you've been really, really wounded, burned relationally. And your response to the wound was not to get the wound healed. Instead, your response was this, I'll never let that happen to me again. And um, without wanting to be insensitive to what are legitimate, deep, hurtful wounds, I just want to say that that response will never get you healed. And um, we have to be careful sometimes that that uh, the wrong response doesn't keep us from God's best. I, um, I'm a, I like to watch movies, and there is a great little segment from one of my favorite movies where um, relationships gets discussed, and it talk, touches on both fear and on hurts from the past. So let's take a minute or two and see this. You live next to me, don't you? You can say hello when you see me. You don't have to be afraid. There's a lot of things going around about me, but none of it's true. Okay? Been a good boy this year? I think so. You swear to it? No. Yeah, I had a feeling. Well, this is the place to be if you're feeling bad about yourself. It is? I think so. Are you feeling bad about yourself? No. I'm in kind of a pain lately. I said some things I shouldn't have. I really haven't been too good this year. Yeah. I'm kind of upset about it because I really like my family. 
Even though sometimes I say I don't, sometimes I even think I don't. Do you get that? I think so. How you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Especially with an older brother. Deep down, you always love them. But you can forget that you love them. And you can hurt them and they can hurt you. And that's not just because you're young. You want to know the real reason why I'm here right now? Sure. I came to hear my granddaughter sing. And I can't come in here tonight. You have plans? No. I'm not welcome. At church? Oh, you're always welcome at church. I'm not welcome with my son. Years back, before you and your family moved on the block, I had an argument with my son. How old is he? Well, he's grown up. We lost our tempers. And I said I didn't care to see him anymore. He said the same. We haven't spoken to each other since. If you miss him, why don't you call him? I'm afraid if I call him, he won't talk to me. How do you know? I don't know. I'm just afraid he won't. No offense, but aren't you a little old to be afraid? You can be a little old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. That's true. I've always been afraid of our basement. It's dark, there's weird stuff down there, and it smells funny, that sort of thing. It's bothered me for years. The basements are like that. Then I made myself go down there to do some laundry, and I found out it's not so bad. All this time I've been worrying about it, but if you turn on the lights, it's no big deal. What's your point? My point is you should call your son. What if he won't talk to me? At least you'll know. Then you can stop worrying about it, and you won't have to be afraid anymore. I don't care how mad I was, I talked to my dad, especially around the holidays. I don't know. Just give it a shot, for your granddaughter anyway. I'm sure she misses you, and the presents. I sent her a check. Wish my grandparents said that. They always send me clothes. Last year I got a sweater with a big burr knitted on it. Oh, that's nice. Not for a guy in the second grade. You can get beat up for wearing something like that. Oh? Yeah. I have a friend who got nailed because there was a rumor he wore dinosaur pajamas. You better run along home where you belong. You think about what I said, all right? Okay. It's nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. about you? Me? Yeah, you and your son. We'll see what happens. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I want to keep watching that. You know what comes next. <laughs> I think I've probably watched Home Alone ten times so far since September. <laughs> and I'm not done. Great. That's a wonderful movie. How poignant to have a little guy share such profound wisdom 
And uh, so, anyway, fear and past experiences. Um, and this last one, last reason for why we would avoid relationship is uh, probably could take its own whole, t- whole message. And it keeps a lot of us from a lot of good things right now. And that's just good old-fashioned busyness. You know, we say, I, I can't go. I'm already scheduled. Hey, dude, you know, I'd like to do this with you, but I'm just, I'm just way too busy. And I, I know sometimes we just have to ask ourselves, how many, how many things we're not doing that we should be doing, that if we were doing our life would be better, but we're not doing them because our schedule dictates our life to us. How many things would be different if our schedule didn't always tell us? And, you know, there is sometimes nothing, it it requires a crisis to nudge us relationally. Um, I mean, um, I I don't want to overplay this, but I can just say in the last um, number of months, that for Elisa and me, we've been dealing with uh, medical issues for her, both of her parents, and uh, they have risen to crisis levels at times. And uh, it, it, it's just, it takes, when, when those kinds of things start to come to play, all of a sudden there's this triage process for what you will invest your time in and things that you thought were really important before that you have to say, I just don't have time for that anymore. You realize that you could have done that, made that decision right along. Anyway, so busyness is there. And here's the thing. Of this list of five things I've given you, I think deep down inside, I haven't said anything so far that anybody here would disagree with. I think these are things that that you would all disagree, like, yeah, okay. And I think down deep also, that everybody wants to have good relationships. I think down deep, every one of you wants to go to a place where everybody knows your name. <laughs> oh, good. That rings a bell for you. You know, if, if it doesn't ring a bell, it's, there was a TV show called Cheers, and the story is a, um, a guy who was a Red Sox pitcher owns this bar and uh, runs this bar, and it was a regular situational comedy show. And interesting things about it, you know, here's this Red Sox pitcher that owns this bar, but he doesn't, he doesn't even drink. And although there's food and drink there, the people go and they eat food and drink when they go. That's really not why they go to, to the bar named Cheers. They go because of the relationships with these other people. And there's a theme song. I want to read to you the lyrics to the theme song from Cheers. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Sounds pretty true. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? I'm not singing this for you, if that's what you're wondering. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. It's about a bar. But it could have been about the church, right? Amen? It could have been. I mean, I really believe that God designed the church to foster those kinds of relationships where it could. And I would just say this to you, that every one of you that calls Crossroads your home, or if it's some other church that you call your home, you should be involved relationally somehow in that church, somewhere. Whether it's a small group that gets together. I mean, I, there are lots of groups that are going on in this church. You may not know it, but I know people who get here, together here. I know of one group who, they get together, they call it their dinner and a movie group. It's it's girls only, okay? They get together, they have dinner together, they have a theme, they watch a movie. Guys don't get to go. And uh, they've done some wild things. They've had 80s nights, which was a hoot because I saw some of the outfits and the hairdos. 
Um, there are seniors groups. I mentioned it before, ushering. You can get involved in ministering, not just because it, it takes care of tasks that need to be accomplished by the church, but, but it's way better because of what it does for you relationally and in you relationally. Everybody should be doing that. Okay, so let's uh, take a look. Let's, let's get on now with what, what we can do about that and take a look in Romans, in the book of Romans. Romans 12, verse 5. This one I think we should all read together out loud. It's a good, good, good scripture. Come on, let's read it together. Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. Turn to the person next to you and say, you need me. Come on, do it. Okay, now turn to the other person that you didn't choose and say, you need me too. Because there's always a second choice, right? Right? There are some scenarios of relationships. Social scientists just love to, to, to study how people interact, interact. And so I've taken some classes on this, and I remember one class where they, they created this matrix. And if you have two people and you consider what they know, to be, know about each other and what they don't know, you can create this matrix of four different areas. One matrix is you know things and I know things. We both know. The other matrix is we don't know anything about it. Neither one of us knows. And then you get into a I know this and you don't, or you know this and I don't. Okay, so just as broad strokes, there's four different possibilities. Let's just talk about the interactions with uh, people in small relationships. This, the first one is this. And, and by the way, most people never go beyond this first one. We'll call this the public arena. You and I both know. There are some things that you and I both know about each other because we're here today. I know you've decided that you're going to spend it. I mean, we know a few things just because we're in the public place together. And, um, and, and, and it's the public side of us. Now, there is another side to you that I don't know, and there's another side to me. But this is the public side of us that we're talking about here. And uh, the first need here is I need some people who really know me. Why? Because there's another side to me. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says this, for, a person knows, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Everybody sees the public side. But the part that we need to get to is the hidden side. Why? Why do, we other, why do I have, need to have other people know that other side of me? And the reason is because we all eventually have that day. That day. What's that day? That day, that's the day we got the bad news. That's the day the doctor said to you, hey, this, this x-ray doesn't look very good. We got some work to do. Or that day is when somebody that you love has said, so long, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I got to go be with the Lord now. That day comes when a spouse says, I'm done here. That, that day, they come. They will come. They do come. And at that moment... You need somebody that knows you more than publicly. And you don't need 50 people that know you like that, but you need a handful. I heard this story about a bunch of guys that were in a small group, and that day came, and one of them was diagnosed with cancer and um, started chemotherapy. And when, um, when, as he went through the process, his hair, his hair came out. And what the guys, the other guys in that group decided to do, every one of them shaved their heads. Now, I, you know, medical treatment notwithstanding, that guy was cared for way better than any program anywhere could have done it for him. To have people standing with him because they, and, 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 and as, as best as they could, experiencing his grief and difficulty, I mean, that guy was cared for. Second, second area um, of those four, we'll call this the mask. It's where... Where I know things, but you don't. 
there are certain things about you that you're just not going to share with other people. There are certain things about me that I know that you're just not going to know. Okay, it's just a fact of life. We'll just call that the mask. And here's the problem. If there are things about you that nobody else knows, you're at risk. There is some risk there when there are things that nobody else knows about you. And so you, that creates a need. So what's the need? I need someone who's going to protect me. Here's what I mean by that. They can't protect you if they don't know what's going on inside of you. 2 Corinthians 4.2 4, says this, We refuse to wear masks and play games. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open. Paul basically just says, I'm not going to have a mask. And there's a reason for this. This is really the only way you are ever going to get over habitual sin in your life. The only way. Here's a couple of scriptures to help you understand that. Um, if you confess to God, he'll forgive you and cleanse you. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he'll be faithful to forgive us and to purify us from all, all right, unrighteousness. He'll forgive us and purify us. That's what happens when we confess to the Lord. He'll, he'll forgive us and purify us. But James 5 says this. It says, if you confess to each other, you will be healed. Healed. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. God will forgive you and purify you, but you need a person to help protect you and help you get healed. And then the third area is, we'll call this the blind spots. I don't know, but you do. You can see things about me that I can't see in myself. I mean, you know the way I act and how it affects somebody else, but I don't see the way I act. It goes on more than you realize. You know, I, I got spinach in my teeth, and you say, hey, dude, uh, there's something green in your teeth. You know, the, by the way, the chances of me getting spinach in my teeth is right up there with me getting broccoli in my teeth, almost zero. It's possible somebody could sneak in in the middle of the night and sedate me and make me eat spinach. That's the 1% risk. But I need somebody to say, hey, Terry, there's the corner of a brownie stuck in your teeth. You've got to get that out of your teeth, right? I mean, there are things that you know, and I just don't know them, and I don't see them. They're in my blind spot. And, you know, there's a, there was a time that I was preaching a sermon at the last church I was at up at Living Water, and I'm standing up on the platform, and there was no pulpit. I was out wandering in front, and there's 600 people in the room, and Lisa's down in the front, and a few, few of the staff members are down in the front, and they got this funny look on their face, and they're squirming. I'm trying not to look at them, because if I look at them, then everybody else will look at them. It was distracting. But I could see this kind of this generalized smirk out there. When I finally did look down at Lisa, she's going, right? <laughs> so, so I probably did 15 or 20 minutes with my fly, whatever. <laughs> Well, at that point, there's no, there's no recovery. You can't just act. You, there's no discreet way to do that. So, I, <laughs> so, so what I did was I said, excuse me for a minute. And I turned around and I went, zip, like that. And they clapped. <laughs> it's about time, you know. <laughs> but it creates a need that I have blind spots. And that's, here's my need. My need is that, that I need someone who is going to be honest with me, going to tell me those embarrassing things or things that I might be ashamed of, but because they love me enough, they're going to tell me those things. Hey, Terry, did you really mean to use that tone with your wife because it kind of dishonored her? I mean, we do that. We do stuff, and we're not really aware of it sometimes. We need someone who's going to be really, really honest with me. And the other thing is this. I'm not really ready to hear anything from anybody. You probably aren't either. 
to have people tell you your faults? I mean, you'll listen to some people maybe, but not just anybody. I mean, I need to receive it from people that I really believe love me. And that comes because of built relationships. And I hope that you have somebody in your life that can speak to you that way. I hope that you have enough um, self-sense of security that that person, when they do come to you, that you don't climb down their throat and say, leave me alone, why are you complaining? No, sometimes people come to you and they tell you about your faults because they love you. There is a gargantuan verse in Proverbs that I love that really speaks this. It just drives right through the middle of this, and um, it's what it's speaking to. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That's what that scripture is saying. When When a friend has to wound you, a friend is loving you by telling you the truth because they want something better for you or they're wanting to protect you. You know, the Bible says that the good guy here is the faithful one. Hey, bro, we got some things we got to talk about here. Dude, you can't do that. Okay. Fourth scenario, that was me. I can't move anymore. The fourth scenario is, we'll just call this the potential because I don't know about it and you don't know about it. Only God knows your full potential. Only God knows that. And if only God knows that, how does this relate to us needing relationship? That's a fair question. I believe that God's system for pulling out your best is you connecting with another member of the body of Christ. And now, we're not supposed to just be body parts. You've heard this before. You're not just supposed to be an a-, a hand or a foot or an arm. You're, if you're the hand, you're supposed to be connected to the wrist. And, and if you're the wrist, you're supposed to be connected to the forearm. And if you're the forearm, you're supposed to be connected to the elbow. And if you're the elbow, you're supposed to be connected to these guns. <laughs> you're laughing with me, right? <laughs> yes. It's not just being parts, but it's being connected, connected parts. I'm not sure how come I'm doing that. I'm, I'll try not to. I'm sorry. It's distracting. Ephesians 4.16 says this. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So what do I need in the area of potential? I need people who are going to grow me. And this happens when you connect with the body of Christ. Life, you know, you can, you, your life can grow powerfully by just attending church. And Christ can touch you here but we're engineered to need more than just that. You and I are engineered to need relationship and people that can help me and stretch me and cause me to grow. Do you know that's one of your roles? Your role is not just always to, to do and to put things right and to be a worker and toil and do all those kinds of things. Partly your role is to be an agent of growth for the people around you, that you do things that encourage them to grow spiritually, emotionally, That's partly your role. I hope that you're doing that. I need a place where I'm known, where I can be protected, where people can be honest with me and where I'm going to be growing. Proverbs 18, 28 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The risk here is that you have lots of friends who are maybe a little more than acquaintances, 
but they're not the ones who give you faithful wounds. They're not the ones who speak to you honestly. They're not the ones who will protect you and grow you. I want to challenge you with everything in me to push yourself to get yourself into some meaningful relationships. If you already are, God bless that. That's really good. Keep doing it. Help people around you do it as well. Last week we talked about this. This is a very short two-week series on relationships. We talked about the fact that meaningful relationships with the right people never or very, very rarely ever happen by accident. They require investment, sacrifice, time. They require investment. You know, you can, there are lots of ways that you can do this. You can intentionally do a formalized Bible study if you want to do that. And that's good. Those kinds of things go on. Um, But there are lots of other ways to do it as well. I've given you a few today. Last week, we talked about having the right people around you. That's why investing yourself here with these right people is so important because this is a, a medium that's rich for growth for you. Godly people, the right people are sitting around you. I want to challenge you to invest yourself and see what the Lord will do in your life. Let's pray. God, for it seems like two weeks about relationship, it's so short um, when this is so important. So important, God, for us to take the courage to find our, ourselves in a place of relationship. And, and Lord, I'd say this, 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 this group of people, this clan, are already friendly. They're already relational. I know there are circles of friendships that are here, but I also know that every week, people come in here absolutely alone. And Lord, I know we could come up with a program and an approach to try to create places for people to, to, to connect. And those, those opportunities, they're, they're here in the church. But God, there is also something about us making a place, us looking for and pressing in. So God, I pray that we would find the courage to do that. I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here who feels like they're really, they've really got this covered, they really don't have a need for relationships, I pray, Lord, that you'd open those eyes. God, I want to talk to you about next week. I pray, Lord, for people who will come to, um, come to the house of God because it's Christmas. And Lord, talking about a need for relationship, I pray, God, for people whose names have not been recorded in a book of remembrance. I pray, Lord, for people whose name has not been recorded into a book of life. Because, Lord, the the most important decision anyone ever makes for their eternity is one about relationship. And so, Lord, thinking of next week, thinking ahead, I pray, God, over invitations that have gone out or will go out this week. As you signal people in this room and say, hey, invite so-and-so to a candlelight service for one hour on Christmas Eve. People are busy, but, but, Lord, prepare hearts to say yes. Prepare us, Lord, as a family here that we would have a heart of hospitality to open, to open our own schedule and say, hey, come with me. I'll meet you. We'll sit together. We'll have candlelight. It'll be an hour. There'll be candy canes. It'll be okay. Nothing weird will happen. I pray, Lord, that, that you will cause for us to be um, willing to risk it and, and to extend relationship that way so that others might have a relationship that will change their eternity, God. So, Lord, I pray over next weekend services, we do as a church family, and we ask, God, that there would be fruit, more than a traditional celebration, but that there would be kingdom traction in the lives of people that need you. Please keep your eyes closed, church. Um, I, I think mostly here I recognize us, but 
in case there's anybody here who has never got their relationship with God to the place where they know about eternity, I would just say to you, open your heart to the Lord. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord and you want to do that now, just look at me and just let me agree with you in prayer. I'm not going to call you in front. Is that why you're looking at me? The, the word says that your sins are forgiven. The word says that your sins are forgiven. Way to go. Any others? Lord, I want to thank you for this godly decision. I just ask for you to saddle up next to this son of yours. Write his name there now, Lord. I want to thank you, God, that you made the choice to save us, the loving choice. Thank you for doing that. Now, Lord, I pray for for, uh, your will, Lord, to be accomplished on these issues of relationship. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 